Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we take a sober look at motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories with David Campbell, including the car sales figures for November. We top 100,000 vehicles in one month. We road test the Toyota Prado. It is now classified as an SUV, but it is really a more traditional four-wheel drive. We road test the Toyota Prado. It is now classified as an SUV, but it is really more of a traditional four-wheel drive. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take an upbeat look at stories including weird cars from the Tokyo Motor Show. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now to begin the program, let's have the news. VFAC figures show that new vehicle sales in November broke through the 100,000 unit mark for the very first time as the industry maintained its record pace for 2017. But for the first time in history, not one of the top 10 sellers was made in Australia. Toyota's Camry and Holden's Commodore, both of which ceased production in Australia in October, have followed the Ford Falcon out of the leadership group that is now dominated by imports from Japan and Thailand. Utes and SUVs continue to dominate the new car market. November's best sellers were a pair of Thai-built one-ton Utes, the Toyota Hilux and the Ford Ranger, followed by Japanese-built small car rivals, the Toyota Corolla and the Mazda 3. All up, Australian buyers bought over 101,000 vehicles last month, bringing the 2017 tally to just over 1 million vehicles up 0.6% on the same period last year and on track for a record annual tally nudging 1.2 million vehicles. In order, the top five selling brands in November were Toyota, Mazda, Hyundai, Holden and Mitsubishi. Mazda Australia's slow and steady journey to prominence over the last 30 years has become the benchmark for the Mazda Motor Corporation globally as the market share of the world company's Australian arm continues to outperform all major markets around the world, including Japan. Australia's 9.9% market share is double that of the 4.9% share in its home market, and substantially greater than that of Mazda's United States tally, which is currently sitting at only 1.7%. The president of Mazda's North American operations was recently in Australia and said that the US had a lot to learn from the Australian organisation. In total vehicle sales, Mazda is at number two in the Australian market behind Toyota. A number of Mazda models are in the top three best sellers in their respective segments, including the Mazda 2, Mazda 3, Mazda 6 and CX-3, while the CX-5 is the best-selling mid-size SUV in the country. Toyota has announced that it will build the first megawatt-scale hydrogen fuel and renewable generation plant in Long Beach, California, using agricultural waste to generate electricity, water and hydrogen. Dubbed the tri facility, the plant will 
generate around 2.3 megawatts of electricity and close to one tonne of hydrogen per day, providing enough daily power for more than 2,300 homes and 1,500 hydrogen-powered cars. It will come online in 2020 and be used as proof of concept for large-scale hydrogen generation and renewable energy plants. Hopefully, the facility will set a new energy benchmark that experts hope will pave the way for Australia's hydrogen industry. From next year, strict new emission regulations will be applied to London's famous black cabs, meaning that current diesel taxis cannot be registered. So the London Taxi Company, which has been making London's black cabs for almost 70 years, has recently released a brand new electric-powered taxi. The new cab retains much of the familiar shape, but a marginally bigger, allowing a sixth passenger inside. The taxis have been brought up to date with Wi-Fi, USB chargers and a new transparent roof which allows passengers to take in the cityscape above them. The new taxi can do 80 miles on electric power and has a range extender petrol engine that runs a generator, meaning it can cover up to 377 miles always on electric power. They can be recharged in 35 minutes at rapid charging stations around the city. Overdrive has previously reported on Amazon planning to use drones to deliver packages. But with so many drones in the air, what happens if one fails? If it crashes, it could cause a major accident. Amazon thinks that it has the answer. The company has received a patent for the direct fragmentation for unmanned airborne vehicles. If the drone detects that there is a major problem and could crash, then it can begin taking itself apart in mid-flight. It would jettison parts of itself along a linear path, which would be less likely to do damage to people or property instead of one big heavy drone falling from the sky. An aggressive driver in WA is believed to be the first in breach of a new rule demanding vehicles keep at least one metre gap from their car and the cyclist. The motorist was fined $400 and four demerit points after travelling too close to a cyclist. The cyclist said the vehicle encroached into the bicycle lane as it overtook him while travelling in a 70 km per hour zone. Local police travelling in the opposite direction spotted the incident and issued an infringement notice to the driver. And that has been the news. We continue our road testing of some fairly large four-wheel drive vehicles. Now, in fact, as we've moved from having four-wheel drive to the broader categories of sports utility vehicles, so we've gone to more car-like features, and we're looking for comfort for the drivers and passengers. We're looking for smoothness on bitumen roads and how it handles in urban areas. But is there still a call for that rugged four-wheel drive? That one that not only has the capability of going off-road in some pretty rough situations, but it also has a bit of the feel and the sense of it that's not car-like luxury, but down-to-earth ability to be able to drive in the great outdoors. The Toyota Land Cruiser Prado perhaps fits more in the latter rather than the former. And uh, testing it has been myself and Errol Smith, and Errol joins me on the line now. 
Errol, when you first got into the Prado, which uses the name Land Cruiser Prado, cashing in on the name there, I think? Absolutely, yeah. And it's sort of a statement that this is a serious four-wheel drive. You know, this is no soft roader SUV. Mm, A soft roader, I think it is not. In fact, when I got into it, having got out of the Land Rover, which still has off-road capability, but it felt much smoother, this felt big and chunky, I think. The size is really enormous. Well, feels big, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly feels big, and it's it's very high. You climb up into it. You don't, you know, you don't get into it. You climb into it. The GX version, we've we've had the two different models, uh, doesn't have side steps, and you kind of have to pull yourself up into it without those to to step on. Uh, yeah, it's about five okay. meters long, and it's almost two meters wide and high. So you won't get it in uh, older garages and things like that. Or you might get it in, but you won't be able to open the door. <laughs> The bonnet, it's really quite large. We're about to step into a Hyundai Santa Fe, and it just looks so much different, really. I think they're really just boxes, but there's so much difference in it. And the Prado has that big front bonnet on it that sits up high and ploughs through water and things that mm. you know, makes you feel strong. And, and I think that really is part of the image. I said... Uh, recently, how I remember, we were on Fraser Island in Queensland, which is, of course, uh, all sand, and so it's got rutted little backtracks and beaches to drive on. We were coming off, you can only get to it by ferry, and we passed the queue waiting to get on the ferry. The majority of them were Toyotas, and of those, most were Land Cruisers, be it mm. the top of the range Land Cruiser or the Prado. What sort of engine did uh, this have, Errol? Well, it's pretty much only one engine these days. It's a 2.8-litre turbo diesel engine. It's got 130 kilowatts of power, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you've got 420 to 450 newton metres of torque, depending on the gearbox, and uh, that is Brazilian in the scheme of things. (laughs) It's uh, certainly a very, very big number, and it starts at 1,400 revs. Yeah. Uh, Now, you said the gearbox, both are six-speed, but... Which one gets the less torque? The manual, interestingly. So if you want a bit more mm. torque, you actually have to get the automatic gearbox, which will which will set you back about over almost $3,200, by the way, for the auto. Oh, that's more than the $2,000 we have come to know over all the years. The fuel consumption, it's a big car. It's a solid car. It doesn't have eight-speed gearboxes or that. I would expect it to be high. What is it rated at? 7.9 litres per 100 which um, isn't a lot in the scheme of things, or you have to remember it's a diesel. Ah, yes. So that certainly keeps the number down. Same for the manual as it is for the automatic, something we've reflected on in the past as the way things have gone. Mm. What sort of things do you like about it? This is a, a serious four-wheel drive. It's It's got full-time all-wheel drive. There's basically no two-wheel drive mode. It's, it's got low range, centre diff lock, and when you sort of go up in the models, you get a rear diff lock control, hill descent control, uh, crawl control, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, this is a, a serious four-wheel drive and you're not really going to get stuck anywhere with something like this taking you around. How does it feel on the road? Well, that's an interesting question because to me this feels like an old-school four-wheel drive. It doesn't drive like a car. It's got that sort of fairly soft long travel suspension so it tends to sort of 
wallow a, a little bit as you come to a stop or go around a corner. So it doesn't have that car-like feel that a lot of what we would call SUVs would have. But then again, you have to weigh that up with its capability. You can get a cool, well, the cool box is in fact standard. Yeah. So the little box is cooled for your, mm. I was going to say tinnies, but that would be socially irresponsible. It, it might be. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. There's basically an air conditioning vent that you open in it if you want it to be a cool box. It's a pretty simple setup in the scheme of things. The other thing I like is that they've made things like climate sat nav with traffic info standard across the range. It's often an option on, on other models. And you've got keyless entry and start, reversing camera, okay. uh, things like that, all, all standard. So, uh, yeah, it's nice, nice to get those kind of things. Errol, lovely to talk to you. No worries, David. You're listening to Overdrive. And we get to the end of the program. And this week we have Brian Smith to talk some of the unusual quirky stories about motoring and transport. G'day, Brian G'day, David. How are you? Mate, I'm doing real well. The Tokyo Motor Show. Now, there were some lovely cars there. Let's talk about a few of them. The Jeep Wrangler, called the Rubicon. Is that uh, an appropriate name, do you think? I think it's a bolder name than it deserves. The the, the Rubicon is the river in Rome that um, uh, marked the boundary between Rome and the rest of its empire. And Caesar, of course, in deciding to bring armies into Rome, crossed the Rubicon, which set him on a course of opposition to the rest of Rome. So it's a bold move, crossing the Rubicon, I think. Jeep, uh, well, look, one of the reviewers said something about evolutionary styling. Yes, it's just basically more of the same. So it's not so much crossing the Rubicon as crossing a pathetic (laughs) excuse for Rubicon. Well, of course, crossing the Rubicon was against the law, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yes. Caesar had to break the law to go out of his territory against, was it the Senate who said that he shouldn't do it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, of course, he broke the law and became a emperor for An life. Emperor. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's this sort of a message there in modern America, isn't there? Wanting to, you know, <laughs> I, wonder what, I wonder what sort of car Trump drives. It, uh, it might be symbolic. You never know. Maybe the... Typical Wrangler driver loves the nuance of the subtlety of that reference. I'd be willing to bet you, David, that the typical Wrangler driver or Jeep driver has no idea what that word means. (laughs) To take a decisive, irrevocable step without them knowing that they're subtly reflecting that great breaking of the law, stepping over something that you can't turn back from. Well, what you can't turn back from is the need to keep reinforcing Jeep. So all of the reviewers are basically saying, look, Jeep's done a fantastic job. They've they've hit it right on the barrel head. And this is the same as the Toyota thing, isn't it, where, where everybody seems to be very positive about Toyotas. I think if you're an American reviewer, you've got to be very positive about the Jeep whilst holding your nose closed. <laughs> it's a stinker. That, that's how they... They said that people were voted for Trump, wasn't it? They felt there were things they had to oppose, so they held their nose and voted for Trump. All right. Now, look, there's another one there, the Isuzu FDSI. I want to talk about this because it's interesting. It's really in the freight mould. Yeah. This is a very interesting vehicle. Now, we've often spoken about the way that the modern technology hasn't yet been embraced by car manufacturers in terms of breaking the the mould of existing design. 
Well, this looks like a box. It looks like a container of some mm. kind. It's, it's very futuristic, very unusual. So hats off to Isuzu for, for mine. It's a delivery vehicle, FDSI. It's a light truck. Look, I, I like it. I think that it's unusual and it's starting to show the possibilities that uh, new engines and new technology can provide. Here's one thing here. It's like buses, really. The, the typical delivery van, the courier-type van, perhaps this is a little bigger, perhaps the Ford Transit-type van, is really got a very boring sort of image, like buses, yeah. right? Yeah. And buses need to up their image. And I think this is really starting to say the delivery of freight is very interesting. Now, on the side, there's this glorious honeycomb effect. It looks like one of the buildings from the Tokyo Olympics, you know, where there was the swimming the cube. Uh, stadium or something, or something like that, yes. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, with this honeycomb pattern. But the thing is, the pattern has a reason for it. Each one of those is a small little container area so that you can go around and perhaps get your own piece of gear out of it, your own delivery, your own, I'm getting a few books delivered to me this very day. I've just got an email saying it's about to arrive. It's a brilliant idea, David. It's like click and collect, a mobile mm. click and collect. So as your vehicle pulls up, some cities are doing this already. Um, Auckland actually has some ferry terminals. Supermarkets drive their van up there and you can get off the ferry and go and collect your item from a van that's parked at the ferry terminal. Very clever. Oh, okay, a van there. That's interesting because Parramatta Railway Station has their own lockers Mm. and so people put things in the locker and you get a code over your phone and go and take it out and so you, you can get your small things that you might want to take home and still catch the bus without having to have a car to get that access. Great idea. And apparently it's another innovation. The rearview mirror, or monitor, it's mounted on the steering wheel. The driver can see what's behind them with a quick glance down. Perfect. Good thinking. And and it's just creating that image that there's a very modernity about every aspect of transport. It's not just autonomous vehicles or, you know, cars with fancy things to it. It's going to be every aspect of our transport can be touched by new technology. Hmm. So now the Nissan IMX, I think, is a capital I or a small L. IMX, IMX. Brian, can you describe the front of it to me? The front, it's an unusual looking vehicle. The front looks, uh, I guess, a little like, it looks like a bat, I think. So it's, it's got these very strong vertical elements air intake sort of things on the edges so they're very strong vertical in front of the wheel arch and then it curves around to a quite a small grill that that looks a little like a i guess a, a whale's mouth okay the grill is like that and the side pods it's almost like a bow tie really isn't it that's a good description a grill in the middle and those side bits which are big angular sorts of almost scoops you know it's like they're, they're almost like a slightly distorted a speaker system, you know, mm. without the cloth over the front of it, where you've got this sort of thing disappears back a little bit and looks terribly like a bow tie. They call it Nissan Intelligent Mobility. It might be intelligent, but it's ugly. Well, look, the inside is very um, starting to look like people are imagining an autonomous vehicle to look, you know, so that you've got these strange pod-like seats and there's really no control system to, to speak of. 
But look, I, again, I think this is just a conventional sedan and they're tinkering a little with it and making it look mm. modern. It's got this quite unusual kind of floor and unusual set of pedals that look like boxes that you touch and, and sort of strange half-shaped steering wheel. So nice try, Nissan. I don't think we'll ever see it in production. I, I wonder. It's an electric vehicle. It's uh, aimed at Tesla. Um, and, and it's very anthropomorphic. The front, when you step back a little bit, looks like a kind of a quizzical, smiling creature of some kind. Uh, oh, okay. the, the, the top of the scoops is a kind of a, a narrowed eye on each mm. side, which are the headlights. Um, and then it's sort of got like a, a kind of a polar bear nose, I suppose, and a, and a quirkish sort oh, of yes, uh, smirky yes. look on the front. It, it is an unusual looking car from different angles. Look, I don't think it's unusual enough. Look, I, I want to see car manufacturers break out a little bit. Do you think in many ways we're just seeing autonomy and we're just robotizing what we do already? Already, yes, exactly, And we're not David. saying that we're making that quantum leap, that jump that sort of says, let's start with a fresh page. That's right. Start again. We're timid. In the same way that Henry Ford, when he started designing cars, I mean, you can absolutely see that your your horse-drawn wagon was the car without, you know, the wagon. The car is the wagon without the horse. Horseless wagon, yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, I guess the market, the, the public, the buyers have to be comfortable with the concept and they have to go, okay, look, I understand what this is. It's, you know, it's, it's just like my wagon, but I haven't got the horse in front of. It's kind of jammed into a little box. So I guess there's that element, but I, I really do think we're in a stage of the of development where people are ready for something different. And speaking of which, David, the Toyota Auto Body Wonder Capsule, just that's a that's a romantic <laughs> name that just trips off the tongue. And, and the Wonder Cap yes, the Capsule, you wonder ab- why they did it. It looks like a very modern version of a Flintstones car yes doesn't it david it's even got the the mm. wheels look a little like logs that are just sort of at the front of the car and, and i expect to see feet come out from under so it's a, it looks i suppose like a, a cross between a toy and a child's stroller oh yes a bit of that it's, yes mm. it's, it's mm. a very unusual vehicle it's got a little sort of um, glass sort of square boxy thing on a roller skate almost a bit. yes it's not I don't think you can believe it's it's aerodynamic. No, but you see, Brian, if you're just going to be pottering around the city... Yeah, 30 kilometres an hour or 20 or something like that. And uh, Errol and I were talking about one last week, which was along that line, designed by an ex-BMW head of design who clearly was on something at the time. But <laughs> but, but it's a throwback to your cartoons. I think you're right. And by the way, we, did we talk a few weeks ago about the Flintstones might well be the best cartoon for looking at the future. Uh, the Jetsons were just everything we do now, only up in the air. See, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yes. It's, yes. It, we're taking what we do now and merely robotising it or, or adding a little bit more to it without making a quantum leap. And the Jetsons, they were in a car that you had to hand control, it polluted. Mm. They even had a guy on point duty, the vehicles as they went through the air. Controlling the signals. But Toyota Auto Body Wonder Capsule, I think, falls into the same trap of, of so many modern passenger cars. It's all about passengers, yet we continually use the vehicles for other purposes. So, for example, we've got a station wagon, and, and I jumped in it today to go and, and do something for one of the children. 
And, of course, I find that the inside's been reconfigured in order to fit the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. So we, we carry things. We, we, we reconfigure the car. None of these things are really saying to me, here is a multifunction concept that you can use for different purposes. I often get asked if I had all the money in the world, what vehicle would I buy? And sometimes I just say a Kia Carnival. Mm. You know, you can fold the seats and you're absolutely right. Errol and I were talking about this. It's the problem of the Aussie ute that you have two seats and a huge tray, but nothing in the back that allows you. The, the Falcon started to give a little bit of room. And I talked about it last week. I drove a Mitsubishi Triton which wasn't the dual cab, which I normally get if I'm testing these things, because I've got three people. It was the extended cabs, so one and a half cabs, if you like. Yeah. But they had suicide doors that opened the other way, and so they closed together, front and back door. You could get into the back easily. There wasn't a lot of room, and you squeezed our 16-year-old in there for a short trip, but you could get to it. You could use it in a lot of mm. ways and, and little things like this. But even the tray, David, I mean, the tray is just a tray. Surely companies could be saying, OK, let's think about how our customers use these things. They mm. keep their tools, they carry off the things. And so often you'll see someone with a ute and they've, they've had to buy some aftermarket box to fit in there. If you're buying aftermarket stuff and you see enough of them, a big toolbox, you're thinking, why aren't I offering tool storage in my tray, mm. like designing this mm. vehicle for to be fit for purpose. I wrote the first policy statement for Modern Club, the NRMA, and one of them was there's this great thing about having to, after market, do things for rust protection. Yes. And so my policy wasn't, you know, you shouldn't do it for us. You should not have to do anything after market to get a reasonable amount of protection on the vehicle. Yeah. In, in that sense, I think that's absurd. Now, I've got to say the auto body wonder capsule does look like a couple of apprentices as a year one project oh, yeah. uh, have got the old welders out and, and plonked together something that took their fancy. Do you think they've scaled up something that they had to to prove that an egg could survive a crash? Make the toy <laughs> run it down the little flight with an egg in there. And they've gone, this one works okay, the egg survived. We're the winner, let's scale it up now, one to one. <laughs> I, although if the chicken had this sort of squarish shape, I think it might have been a painful exercise. Brian, that, that is lovely uh, to talk to you. I appreciate your time greatly. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news stories and I think some with a, a reflection of a degree of thoughtful reality into the future here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Zachary Long and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>